Hey everyone, welcome to the Chief Future Officer podcast where we bring the best minds in finance together. This is your host Indus. I am the Chief Savings Officer at Kolam during the week and a pilot on weekends. But enough about me. Let's talk to our very special guest. Welcome to this episode of the Chief Future Officer podcast. Today my guest is Curtis Hanny. Curtis has worked as a CFO at various companies. He has a major in accounting from Oklahoma State University. Curtis runs a popular newsletter and a podcast where he deconstructs concepts in accounting and finance. Curtis, welcome to the show. I want to start with the first question. How do you get into finance? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on here today. So, going back, I mean, I'll even go back to my childhood. My mother was actually a CPA. And so I was exposed to that, but then I also had a, a grandfather who was uh, an engineering professor and and had a lot of friends that were going in, in engineering. So I don't remember actually ever making a choice besides just knowing I was going to do accounting or engineering. And I thought about it. And when I got to the time to make a decision, I decided, you know what? I don't like numbers as much. I like business more. And so I just said, let's go with accounting. And so it's been a fun ride and and I wouldn't go back on that decision, but it's kind of funny looking back on and thinking about it. And so I graduated from college and just went straight into accounting roles and have known nothing else otherwise. That's an amazing thing. So I'm sure then at your home, there are two factions, one supporting you for finance and other supporting you for engineering. Yeah, I think my grandfather was a little bit, uh, he, he wanted us all to go into engineering, but uh, he understood and he was proud of us and loved seeing what we were doing. So, Would you go back and do engineering? I don't think so. So, you know, now I'm working for a civil engineering firm. So I'm around engineers all the time. So I like to say, I, I think I understand engineers and the way they think. But more than even accounting, I just love business and I love the strategy piece and I just love kind of being involved in that side of it. And so I just look at, you know, maybe you can talk about some software engineering or you can talk about some other types of, you know, less hard engineering, you know, where you're actually, you know, building things. And I might have been interested in those, but I, I'm, I'm happy with the path that I took. You mentioned that you love the business side of things and, and, and strategy. Growing up or in high school or middle school, did you see any signs in yourself? Oh, I love the business part or I want to do this thing. Yeah. So I was naturally good with numbers, but I saw people in my classes, honestly, like I was more just an explorer. You know, I just enjoyed learning new things. And I saw all the people that were into engineering and were into kind of, you know, deeper into statistics and maths and all that. They just really loved that craft. And I didn't necessarily think that. And so I never had like an entrepreneurial, you know, I never wanted to go that direction, but I just knew I didn't want to get deep into the numbers. I didn't like the idea of that. And I don't know where that came from. I think it was more just in some ways I said, man, you know, these guys are smarter than me. So let's find a niche that I can go to and figure it out from there. Interesting. And your first job was in accounting, as I see on your LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. What was it like? Yeah. So when I graduated from college, I had, you know, as typical with accounting, you have the choice of, do I go in the CPA firm route or do I go kind of the industry route? And I really, I did some internships and different things. And I just really realized like I did not want to go the traditional uh, CPA firm route. And so 
uh, I had a few different opportunities and, and it's kind of interesting. The very first one I did was actually a soft, you know, dealing more with the software side, but you had to know the accounting to do it. And I thought that'd be a good skill to learn. But very quickly, I realized that was not what I wanted. I didn't like it. Uh, you ended up, I mean, it was just a boring job. And so I was grateful to have some, have made some connections and randomly happened to come across someone and ended up working in a pretty big company, billions of dollars of company and, and just kind of a, one of their niche groups, which was a really good experience because I got a lot of responsibility for someone at my age and experience level because there was only a few of us in that small group. And I realized even more there, I really just loved the problem solving aspect of what I was doing. And so that kind of then shaped knowing, you know, seeing that, you know, what my promotion opportunities were, I didn't really like the paths within a big company because I liked being a part of a small team like I was there. And I saw that if I went outside of that team, I wouldn't get those same opportunities. And so that was kind of when I started looking for opportunities in smaller businesses because I, I liked being able to not just do the accounting day in and day out, not just do the transactions, but being able to think bigger picture about the firm, about pricing strategies, about just all the things that go into, you know, being a CFO. And, and honestly, I didn't, at that point, the desire wasn't to be a CFO. It was just to be able to be involved in the business side of everything. And so that kind of shaped the way that I went about my career. Very interesting. I'm assuming and that prepped you for your current role as a CFO of Cohen Group and then the one that you had before that. Yeah. And so when I took that first role, I went into a firm that was, you know, pretty small, but growing rapidly. Like they tripled within the first time that I was there, first year that I was there, then they tripled again and they tripled again. And then, you know, ended up where we're having to grow a team and having to get people on. And so I went in expecting one thing and then it turned into something completely different. But it was great because, you know, I'd never been a supervisor before. And all of a sudden I found myself going in and, and having to hire a team and grow that. And so I feel like I was very fortunate to be at the right place and right time with that. And then, you know, I, I'd been there for, for eight years and then two and a half years ago, I made the switch to Cowan Group Engineering, which is a civil engineering firm. And, and it was really just a new challenge and, and new opportunity. And I liked the direction uh, they were headed. And that has led to me starting the newsletter, starting, you know, kind of being active and doing some teaching outside of my role there, because that's something that I've, I've really enjoyed to do as well. Very nice. I'm curious about this. You mentioned that the company doubled or tripled, and of course the size grew. Was the finance team growing at the same ratio, like as the overall company was growing or finance team was okay, slightly behind, but still growing rapidly? Yeah. So the finance team was, when I started, you had me and really two other people that were a, kind of a part of that team. And we grew to a team of about six to eight. So we didn't really we didn't really keep up with the, the pace. But part of that was we were able to leverage different software to really get a lot more done with, with less headcount. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of been my niche, the way I go enjoy being a part of, you know, again, just that, that small team, the small business side of the finance. Interesting. Tell us more about your current role at Cowan and what does the company do? 
So Cowan Group Engineering is um, a civil engineering firm that provides water, wastewater, transportation, engineering services, as well as survey services to cities and towns um, at really anyone in Oklahoma. And uh, we've uh, started there two and a half years ago. We've been growing pretty well. And when I took the role, I was really interested because I saw that leadership had a path for growth and were focused on what that looked like. And I saw that there was potential opportunities for um, being involved in some mergers and acquisitions, which I'd done at, at a previous role. And so I was excited about those opportunities. And so we're a firm of about 35 employees now and um, hope, I mean, based off what we're seeing that that will be, you know, over 50 next year, but there's a lot of moving parts with that. And so there's a lot of interesting thing going on in the industry for sure. Super. And you also now run a podcast, you write a newsletter. I see that you're very active on Twitter. How did that came into being? Because you know, this CFO's role is very intense. Finding time is impossible. Yes, for sure. And honestly, you know, whenever I took this new role, we knew that I was stepping in at a point in the business where they didn't need all of my skills. And so that was part of the discussion is, is that I would be able to honestly just find other ways to entertain myself if, if, for lack of better way of putting it. And I've always loved writing and I had in the past, you know, really been interested in, in just written for my friends, just kind of personal stuff, you know, things like that. And so I enjoyed that process, but then I just got intimidated by the fact that I was going to put an article out there and it was going to be read by people. And I had some previous experience with podcasting just from some of my childish or, you know, college age, you know, enjoying just being goofy and, you know, just having fun with audio stuff. And so I said, you know what, I can sit in front of a mic and I can talk for a little bit of time. So let's just do that. It will give me less uh, time to think about what I'm supposed to be doing because the reality is, is you can edit a dot, you know, a article or newsletter to death. And so I started the podcast and then realized that with podcasts, you have to find a way to promote them. And so I got on Twitter and used that as my promotion angle. And then that resulted in starting the newsletter, kind of going back to the root of what, or why I originally wanted to start. And so I've been grateful that that's grown over the last year and have been able to build a little bit of an audience for that. And it's fun to get to walk through these concepts with people that, that either don't know them or are trying to get better at them. Very interesting. And I saw some of the topics recently, but I'm going to ask you this question. What are some of the interesting concepts you think as a non-finance professional, we should learn like ASAP, like first one to learn? Yeah, well, honestly, like so... I've created a cohort as well where I'm teaching, you know, business owners and leaders how to read financial statements. And I think I saw somewhere like 82% of business, so it's between 75 and 85% of business owners feel like they don't understand their numbers. And I think what happens is... You can add one to that, include me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not their fault because it's, you know, it's one of those deals you're doing the day-to-day -day stuff, right? And that's what's most important. So it's not top of list to learn, but what ends up happening is then, you know, it's around 80% of businesses say that when they fail, cash flow problems were part of the issue. Now I know that's not the whole issue, but so for me, it's 
helping those people understand that it doesn't have to be intimidating. It doesn't have to be hard. And we want to get those people to the point where they're able to look at their numbers, say 15 minutes a week or, you know, an hour or two a month and really have a grasp of what's going on and use those numbers to either confirm or raise questions that they might have related to what's going on in the business, what they're seeing with their eyes, with their ears in the business. And we want to use the numbers to help them make better decisions because that's ultimately what it comes down to. If we can improve our decision quality, we can grow the company, we can have success. Very interesting. I absolutely agree. And thank you for sharing that. Related question, you talk about various topics on in your newsletter. What are some of the new ones that you are planning to address? One thing that I've really been digging into lately is when it comes to, you know, really it's simple stuff, right? It's what KPIs or what key metrics can a business owner identify that are going to help them be able to quickly look at their financial statements. The other one is related to cash flow because if if you don't manage your cash flow well, it's really going to hamstring your ability to grow, could potentially result in a business failure. And then something I've kind of been working on but I'm not not sure where I'm going with it, but trying to come up with a framework that is helpful for business owners to really plug and play into their business as far as how they approach their numbers. And so it's thinking about the four to five key things that you need to think about. And so I've, I've been kind of mentally jogging, you know, going through this exercise and I'm planning on trying to like kind of work on this with some people and see if it's something that, that is helpful. So hopefully over the next coming weeks, I'll be able to start kind of talking about that some more and try and get some feedback on that. But that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Very interesting. You mentioned that you have a cohort of people whom you're teaching. Are these students or these are business owners? Who are they? Yeah, mostly business owners and senior leadership of, of companies that, again, are just at a point where they're either taking on new responsibilities and they need to learn this, or they're a business owner that's just had success and they're thinking, well, this is an area that I have a blind spot in. My thing is, is you can offload the work right? You can give the work to someone else to do the accounting, to do all the numbers, but you shouldn't offload the understanding and you should be able to at least speak a portion of the language enough so that uh, you can be informed and that you can honestly know when someone is doing well or when someone is not doing well. It's a great advice because I think it's applicable to everything in life. You cannot offload your understanding. Mm. Uh, You have to know that thing whether you understand in detail or not, but at least you have to understand the concepts. Right. Uh, Very interesting. Do you think that the role of a CFO in a small business is different than a role of a CFO in in a slightly larger companies or, you know, the days are very similar or they're different? I'd say there's a lot of similarities, but there's definitely some pretty substantial differences because as a CFO of a small business, there's just things that you can't, you can't let go of, right? You don't have the staff that you can get involved in. And even if you do have the staff, you just have to have a hand in some of, some of the day-to-day stuff. So I'd say in some ways, you know, being 
a CFO of a small business, you have to be a little bit more adaptable because if you look, you know, like I'm over everything that's not engineering in our company. So anything that comes in the door that's not engineering, it's my responsibility. Well, because you're a smaller business, you may not have the leaders in some of those other areas to be able to take additional load off. And so what it's meant is I've had to learn a little bit more about IT than I would have ever thought I would have wanted to learn about. I've had to, you know, learn a little bit more about marketing than I would have ever thought I would have, you know, had to know. And so I love that because that's, again, the way I'm wired. I'm, that's going back to what I've just love being involved in as many aspects of business as I can. So I think that's why I've, I've just been constantly attracted to that because it's there. And there's definitely similarities, but I think if you, if you put truth serum in, in both sides of it, there would be people that would be like, I, I would like to do what they're doing over what I'm doing. And I think it'd be the other way around in some cases, but I think they're different problems, but much of the same stress. Got it. And very related question. When does team building come into play? You mentioned in your earlier comment as the teams were expanding, what's a good sign? Doesn't matter what size of the business. So let's say you are a finance person, you become the CFO, you have 10 people or five people under you. What are some of the signs in the business that say, hey, I need to expand my team? Yeah, I think from a small business standpoint, again, which is my experience is you really have to get granular in what people are doing. And I, so I think it's looking for a few things. So as you add people outside of the finance department, there's obviously triggers or things that you look at of we want, you know, say one finance person for every $500,000 in revenue. And so you can kind of use those triggers to kind of identify when those next hires should happen. But then it comes down to the nuts and the bolts of uh, what are people doing and how can we separate and have separation of duties? Because that's a big problem that I think you don't see as much in bigger businesses is in small businesses, you need to figure out ways to create separation of duties so that one person isn't the only one seeing something or one person isn't the only one touching it because that's where there's risk for the business. And so you have to balance the workload with the separation of duties. And I think that's where you got to get a little bit creative about how you go about building kind of your accounting ecosystem within that. Super. Thank you for that. I want to ask a question which I should have asked earlier. So now that you see your career growing from, you know, you graduated and then now you have a podcast, you teach people, and of course, you're the CFO of a, an engineering firm. What would you say if you go back in time to your younger self saying, hey, Curtis, you should have done that or you mm -hmm. should do that? It's interesting. I've never reflected as much as I have in the last year as I started on this journey because you see a lot of stuff on Twitter and on newsletters and social media where people are talking about this is what the 20-year-old person should do, or this is what someone should do. And uh, it's made me think about that. And as I think about it, the advice that I would give myself is I think we get out of high school and we get out of college and we get out of, you know, get into the start of our career. And I think we just think, well, we've got to follow this particular path, right? This is the path that's laid out for us. 
And I viewed my option as two paths, right? As traditional CPA firm or as just kind of industry accountant. But the reality is, is there were a lot more paths that were out there for me. And I think for young people today, I think it's really changing. And I've seen a lot of people talk about this, that there's a lot to be said for getting a lot of wide experience at a young age. So if I would go back for myself, I would just say, don't be afraid to just take a chance on something. Because I think we kind of think there's going to be something bad that will happen and that we won't be able to recover. But now, you know, I'm still only 36. And so I'm not old by any means. But I look back and I just kind of laugh at the way I thought about that of how how the world is going to end if I just fail or don't do something well. And so I think that would be kind of the biggest piece for me and for anyone today is just be willing to try things and do what's interesting to you. And then you have time, you have time and don't feel like you have to rush to getting to that career, to that path that you've been told that you're supposed to get onto. Absolutely agree. What a piece of advice. Did you have mentors or you looked up to people who influenced you? Yeah, I'm grateful in that when I was growing up, I've had a number of what I would look back on and call mentors now. I didn't have any formal mentorship relationships, but um, I'm grateful that I had some adults in my life that, that were willing to give me advice when I needed it. But more than anything, I think we get caught up on this idea of mentorship and mentoring. And I felt like I didn't have the mentors I needed, even though I did have people available to me. And so what that turned into for me is that turned into reading a lot of books and using books as a way to get the knowledge that I wasn't able to get from direct connections. And honestly, some of that was just my young, afraid to ask questions of other people, afraid to, you know, looks again, going back to looking stupid or looking like I didn't know what I was doing. And so I thought books were kind of that comfort. And then now that I've gone further in my career, I've realized I should have been asking questions too along the way. But I would say that has kind of been my biggest uh, mentor would be kind of the books that I've read. Which ones? What are like a couple of them that you read, reread or yeah. very fondly remember? So for me, it was getting thrown into this role that was doubling and tripling in size every year, right? Where I didn't have the skills that I needed. So for me, one of the very first ones that I remember that I really, really enjoyed was getting things done by David Allen because it helped me structure and fill out the way I went about my day. And then it was things like The One Thing or Essentialism by Greg McCune. And it, and it was, again, really trying to focus in on, let's forget about all this noise that's going on around us and let's be able to focus in on what do we actually need to get done? Because yeah. your task and what you got to get done, they're never ending. Uh, that's the case in any role, but it's especially the case when, as a small business CFO, you've got a lot of areas of attention that you've got to go to. And so so those were really helpful for me and really shaped the way that I actually approach my work. There's too many to list otherwise, but those were kind of ones that were kind of, I guess, the, the launching off of my journey kind of to use books as, as that mentorship. And totally agree. Those are two great recommendations. You know, task management is so much a, of an integral part of getting things done every day. Otherwise, it's just overwhelming. Yeah. You'll never, never, never complete anything. And I agree with you. Tasks are never ending. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And we, 
we always think the next day is going to solve it or the next day is going to solve it. And the reality is, is we'll continue to make sacrifices for that end that we think is coming. But for 10 plus years now, there's never been an end. You know, every end that I thought was there is just a new beginning, right? So I think being able to zoom out and, and understand that uh, is helpful as well. Very related questions. I'm always curious about how people manage their productivity. And of course, you shared those two great recommendations of those two books. But other than managing your task, what else do you do to keep your energy levels up, maintain productivity on a daily basis and accomplish whatever your goals are for the day or the week or for the month? One of the biggest things for me is going to be routine or, and actually, let me say that it's going to be rhythm Mm -hmm. because routine, I think we get caught up in like, it's got to be down to the minute of this, right? It's got to be, you know, this particular way. I actually like using the word rhythm because it kind of ebbs and flows with where everything goes. That's such a great word, not a routine, but a rhythm. Very well put. Yeah. And so I like to create kind of those rhythms throughout the day of trying to get up in the morning and have a routine or rhythm that I'm following each morning. And so that's, you know, doing a little bit of reading, you know, going to the gym, uh, doing these things. But then I find that if I don't have some decompression time, if I don't have my, you know, hobbies, then I'm going to end up just, your mind will race in those evenings. And so for me, it's a lot of staying active and a lot of reading because again, reading is kind of one of my go-to habits. So those are the ways that I kind of keep my energy up. And then again, if I'm, if I'm not working out or not getting some physical activity, I find that those afternoons are really, really dragging for me. Super fun. So you're going to wrap up with a few more questions around macro trends, what's happening in the market as you see, you know, NASDAQ has been down for the year. And yesterday, I think, we lost quite a bit on the Dow Jones. Mm-hmm. What's your prediction of what's happening in the macroeconomic outlook? It's an interesting spot in that we've not seen, you know, inflation like this, you know, in a long, long time, you know. And I think you've seen people, you know, getting kind of with COVID just obviously completely changed everything. And so I think honestly for the next, I don't know, year plus. I think we're going to continue to have these issues like we've seen in the market recently where we're going to see dips. I'm really interested to see how that funnels down to the individual person into these to the small businesses again because that's where I'm at and I don't have a good feel for how that's going to be because every prediction I've had about that recently I feel like has been proven wrong. Now I think <laughs> I think we're finally getting I think finally some of like, I just felt like there was going to have to be a point where things were going to break over and we're going to see kind of economy slow down some. And I think we're finally starting to see a few of those things because you have rising costs in businesses, you know, just across the board, you know, you see rising prices, you know, so they're trying to capture it, but I think you're going to see some businesses struggling. And so I think we're going to kind of go through a period where we see businesses that have done a good job of weathering that struggle. And we're going to see ones that weren't prepared or didn't do a good job. But I'm not confident enough to make a prediction of what that's going to look like. But I I think it will be very interesting. I think we'll see some fallout. And um, I don't know that it'll be huge. But I know that I think there will definitely be some stuff that's coming down the pipe. And so I think it's important that 
we try and prepare for those things right now and make sure that we're in as healthy a spot as you as you can be. Got it. Last question, wrapping up and related one. How should one prepare? For me, it's it's a few things. First, it's keeping cash on hand, right? Because cash is so important in these times. And I think so many business owners and leaders, they get comfortable with the way things are going. And so they pull cash out or they reinvest. And I think right now is probably not the time to do that sort of thing. It's, it's the time to, you know, kind of reassess. And then I think the second piece is, is just getting back to the fundamentals. And I think you can talk about this anywhere in life. I think when things go well, it's easy to get distracted with this project over here, or this thing over here. But I think it's super important that you get back to the fundamentals because if you're focused on those fundamentals, you're going to be the first one to know when things are not going as well, right? You're going to be able to identify those things quickly. And I think that's what's most important now is just focusing in on those fundamentals and kind of reorienting yourself to that. Bingo. I think that's a great advice. And all of us are bracing for whatever happens and you know, be ready for that. And I also loved the concept of rhythm more than routine. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah. those two recommendations are great. With that, we wrap up our conversation with Curtis. Curtis, thank you for being here. You know, wishing you super success with your podcast and your newsletter. Hundreds and thousands and millions of subscribers to you. <laughs> Where can people find you? The best place is just you can go to my website. It's curtishanny.com. And um, I'm sure you'll have a link there so they can go there and um, subscribe to my newsletter. And uh, I try and share a financial concept each week for people to help you learn and become better oriented with your finances. Super. That's Curtis Henny. Thank you, Andis. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Chief Future Officer Podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And it'd be amazing if you could share this with anyone who may find this interesting. That's me, Indus from Kolam, signing off. See you in the next episode.